Amen. You may be seated. My uh, computer is going crazy here, up here. So I'm going to do a couple of things. One time I opened up my computer and a video kicked on. And that was the weirdest thing. I'm up here preaching, all of a sudden a video is going, where's that, where's that coming from? Somebody getting a phone call, but it was actually my computer. So, hey, I want to continue my, my series that we began last week called Manger to majesty, to understand the, the power of what Jesus coming to the earth actually meant. That he, that he came and it was, a, it was a, a, a horrific time from a standpoint of being born in a barn. Now I have a little brother that was born at home. Pretty cool. He was the sixth child. So by the time the sixth child come, how many of you know they're coming pretty fast at number six? And so uh, they couldn't actually get to the hospital in time. And so my little brother was born at home. But as, as kind of wild as that is for us to think about my dad delivering the baby, I mean, that just, wow, I think about that myself, blows me away. Jesus was born in a manger. And, and we began this series, and we began looking at the Christmas story from the book of John, because in Matthew and Luke, it gives the details of the Christmas story. And normally when we hear a Christmas story, that's what we hear. We hear about Caesar Augustus decreeing that all the world should be taxed and people going to their hometown and how Mary was, was pregnant even as a virgin with the Holy Spirit coming upon her so that she was going to give birth to the Christ and how Joseph had to kind of process through all of that. And an angel came and said, listen, this, she's not lying to you like the little kid said. Wasn't that cute today? It, she's not lying, lying to you. This is how it's actually happened. And, and the journey that they took and the miraculous birth, how the angels appeared to the shepherds, and all these incredible details through the book of Matthew and Luke. But John, the book of John, John the, the, the apostle, actually talks about the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and here's what it says in John 1.1, the, the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, talking about in the beginning of time, was the Word. Now it's talking about Jesus and the Word, again, it's paralleling Jesus with the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3 says, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. And then John gives his version of the Christmas story. In Him was life. How many of you have discovered the life in Jesus Christ today? In Him was life, and that life was light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, that's why Jesus said this about himself in John 12. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me. You've got to understand, that's the key to this walking in the light of God's revelatory word is that you have to put your trust in him. It's easy for us to say, I've got my trust in him, and yet the moment a problem comes up, we start confessing the problem. But he says, all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. See, that's why it's our desire for each and every one of you here at Amarillo Fellowship, is that it's our desire for you not to just come and sit. To, to see Christianity as this thing I do on Sunday, I, I kind of come in do my little deal, and then I'm, then I'm done. But for you to take the spiritual journey that God has for you. That God has a journey for every one of us. Because your life is never going to make sense until you discover the purpose that God created you for. See, the purposes of God and the purpose of God in your life actually begins to drive away darkness. It begins to drive away darkness in your own life, but not only that, it impacts other people that are actually in your life. That's why we talk about the growth track every week. 
Because we want you to understand that we don't think that it's the destination. It's just the path to get you going in the right direction. To get you on the journey that God has for you. So that on the journey that God has for you, his light will shine in dark places and allow healing and wholeness to come into your life. But not only to come into your life, but again, for allow that healing and wholeness of the light of God to flow into other people's lives too. So that we would each be a part of creating an atmosphere of God's presence so that it can be discovered by people who are in darkness. So that each of us wouldn't just know about the light of the world, but that we would allow and let the light of the world shine through every one of us. Because I do believe that people are experiencing darkness in the world in which you and I live in like they never have before. And when the darkness is going on in their life, and they discover and experience Jesus, his light and love brings hope into their life. Because it really is amazing what just a little bit of light can do to drive away the darkness in areas of our life to get us on the path of life. Something as simple as a flashlight. If the lights were to go out, in fact, I was going to ask the, the, the lighting people to turn all the lights off, but I figured some of you may have a heart attack and kind of freak out about that, so I thought maybe that wouldn't be the best idea. But if you could imagine it being dark, and all of a sudden all the lights went out, and you're freaking out for just a second, and all of a sudden a light pops on, and, and I'm able to walk around and see with the light. It's amazing how a light as simple as this light can illuminate the path for me. It can help me understand the way that I am to walk in. You see, when Jesus came to be the light of the world and to allow his light to shine through us, he never intended for us to be mean with the light. And unfortunately, that's the way most people look at Christianity. Because instead of using the light like it's supposed to, to shine on the path to understand how we are to walk and to recognize where my feet are actually standing, we've taken the light and we've sh shown it in each other's faces. And then we're repelled by the light, rather than understanding that was never the intention of the light. And as simple as this illustration is that we understand with natural light, we often fail to understand it with spiritual light. Because we can see it with our eyes and understand it. Okay, yes, I understand how the light is working with a flashlight. We don't really understand or fully comprehend how spiritual light works. But it's designed to get us on the path. God wants to shine his light on the path of the abundant life that he has for every one of us. In fact, Psalm says this, that your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Notice that it's talking about God's word being both a lamp and a light. It helps me light the path. It helps me understand this is the way of the abundant life. Now, just so you know, God is going to love you whether you're on the path of the abundant life or whether you're off of the path of the abundant life. Your actions are never going to change God's love for you. But he's trying to get us to understand this is the path of life. But notice it also helps us understand of where we're standing. Because both things are important. The first thing that we have to do is we have to understand the correct path. That's why we teach the word of God. Saying, this is the path of life. This is the path of life. But we also have to take the word of God to understand, as it says, a lamp for our feet to understand where we are standing. Because you can think that you're standing on the path and not actually be standing on the path. Richie, that's crazy. Really? God's word says that the path of life for you and I is found in forgiving one another. 
Something as simple as that. Let me ask you, how many times do you, or how often do you walk in unforgiveness? Well, I don't, Pastor Richie. Okay, you're about ready to get together with some family members this Christmas. Are there any family members that you are dreading getting together with? In fact, you do not want to get together with that family member. You're thinking about them, oh man, they just, you know, and, and what you're saying sometimes in essence is, oh yeah, I've forgiven them, but they're just a moron, so I'm not really going to choose to hang around them. <laughs> just so you know, chances are you may be walking in some unforgiveness. Pastor Rich, I forgave them 20 years ago. Maybe so. But the enemy is nonstop about bringing accusations about God and about other people into our lives. And if we're not careful, we can at one point be walking in the light of forgiving people, feeling free, and suddenly the next moment we can be dealing with some unforgiveness. So what we need is we need the light of God's love, the light of God's word to shine into our hearts so that we don't have darkness operating in our lives. Pastor Richie, I'm justified in the way that I feel about them. That may be true. But being unforgiving towards other people, and almost all of us know this, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And so this unforgiveness is just one area, but there are many areas where darkness has a tendency to creep into our life. See, the light of God's love exposes the sadness or the depression. Anything that's contrary to the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, anything that's contrary to that is us walking in darkness in an area of our life. And we have to allow the word of God to let his light shine into our lives to remove the darkness. That's why you have to continually be focused on putting Jesus the light of the world, the word of life at the center of your life and not just work him into your life. So you have to allow his word, his light to expose the darkness even when you may not recognize darkness going on in your life. Richie, I don't have any dark areas in my life. It's possible that you do. And if you don't right now, it's possible that you may and you may not even recognize them. And you can recognize them again by the absence of godliness, the absence of goodness in your life. Remember that all that darkness actually is, is the absence of light. Growing up around my house, Santa Claus wasn't the the center of Christmas. Now, we were big Santa Claus fans. I remember putting out cookies and milk for Santa Claus and him drinking it. So that was right on. And I guess I contributed to him being a jolly man. But he was not the center of our Christmas growing up. I grew up in a Christian home. And Jesus was the center of our lives. And every year we would set up a nativity scene, kind of similar to this up here. And I know y'all can't really see it very well. And so just kind of know it's up here, right up here, for those of you that are back here. But, but ours were, were the, the plastic ones. Y'all, y'all remember this? There was about a two-foot Jesus, or a two-foot Mary, two-foot Joseph, and, and Wiseman, and, and all the different parts. And you, you put a light in them, and they glowed. And, and because we weren't very rich growing up, we, we, this was our Christmas decoration along with a few lights. And so it went up every year. So after years, it began to fade a little bit. And it looked like oh, they didn't have clothes on anymore, that they just were plastic people uh, sitting up there. But, but they, we had all the characters in the nativity scene. Uh, of course, there's the baby Jesus. And you kind of got to say it like that, right? The baby Jesus right there. That Jesus was at the center of the nativity scene. 
He was. And, and then you had Mary and Joseph, of course. And I explained all the story with them. The, they had the hardworking shepherds, the guys that are working the night shift. I know some of you work the night shift, man. God bless y'all. They're working the night shift. In fact, the angels first appeared to the, the shepherds. In fact, it, God decided that the first people he was going to announce his birth to was the working class shepherds. Then we had the, the wise men or the, the magi or the we three kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts, we traveled so far. That's the way we most of them. And we really don't know if there were actually three of them. All that we know is that they gave three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and I hate to bust your bubble or ruin this for you about the nativity scene, but, but if you study it out, the Magi weren't actually at the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, they showed up about two years later when Jesus was two, but it really does make the nativity scene look awesome, doesn't it? And then you had the barn animals. The barn animals, because remember that Jesus was born in a barn because there was no room for him in the end. And nativity scenes have been around for quite a while. In fact, the person that is credited with starting this nativity scene is Francis of Assisi in 1223. So it's been around 800 plus years, and he's the one that's created with this. And, and now you, today you see it on Christmas cards. You, you see it again on, in yards and on mantles, and, and even a living nativity scene. Y'all ever traveled around and see that where people actually dress up and like Mary and Joseph and they act out the birth of Jesus and there's, there's um, animals typically in it. it. It's a pretty cool thing because it reminds us what Christmas is really all about, the birth of our Savior. In fact, moms and dads and everyone that are worried about trying to get the latest and best for your kids, can we just pause for a moment and remember once again that it's not about the gifts it's not about all the parties and all the celebrations that we worry about and freak out about. It really is about the birth of our Savior. And if you're my age, you remember when nativity scenes used to be set up in front of businesses. It used to be set up in front of the city hall, but over the last several years, because of the cultural war that's going on in America, you don't see that happening anymore. And, and, and it's kind of sad, but it's, it's not what I'm going to talk about today, but it probably is something we're talking about, at least at some point. But I'm really not concerned about if this is being set up in front of City Hall as much as I'm concerned about how this is being set up in our hearts. Because in some ways, the picture of the nativity is a picture of life. It's a picture of your life, and it's a picture of my life, because in all of our lives, there is something in our lives. Now watch this. There is something in our lives that all of us are focused on. There is something that is the center point that everything else revolves around. Kind of like the sun in our solar system. There is something in your life that everything revolves around, and it's that thing that you draw energy and strength from. See, in the case of the nativity scene, it's Jesus. And, and that's why you set up the, the nativity scene. Why you set it up is, and the way you set it up is incredibly important. You, you can't just have the pieces, you have to actually set it up so that they're all gathered around and focused on Jesus. Even, you can't see it again, but even the, the, the donkey and the, the cow are like, hey, there's baby Jesus right there. They're, they're all centered around Jesus. So everything is focused on what needs to be focused on. But even though we know that's the way that it's supposed to be set up, the truth is for some of us, we have Jesus in our lives but he's just not at the center of our lives. So because of that, our lives are not actually set up right. 
So if, if you've ever had the thought, look, I'm a Christian. Man, man I, I come to church occasionally. I'm, I'm, I'm going to church, but, but my life's not working right. Could it be that your life is set up wrong? Could it be that other things, even though Jesus is in the scene, he's not where he should be? He's, he's removed to just an, an hour a week. He's just removed an hour a week once or twice a month. And since he's not at the center of the scene, something else is at the center of your life. Like if we were to rearrange this right now and we were to put the, the shepherds in the center of the scene, I think the shepherds would represent our work, our, our jobs. It's the, it's the eight to five. For many of you, it's much more than that. It's the eight to five lives, though. And the, the reason why this can become the center of our life, it's because it's where we spend most of our waking time. We spend a lot of time at work, but when work is the center of our lives, what happens is we give first and best to work rather than to God or to our family. Now, we don't recognize it as quick when it's showing up with God, but we recognize it pretty quick when it's showing up with our family. When we give first and best to work, suddenly in, in our lives with our spousal relationships, there's tension that comes in. There's, there's lack of intimacy. And I'm not talking just about sex. I'm actually talking about a connectedness with someone that we really love and care about. Our children become strangers to us. And so we've got to recognize that when problems come, because it's not an issue ever of if problems are going to come, but when a problem comes up, we are going to lean into the thing that is at the center of our life. And just so you know, our work was never designed to fulfill our life. It was never designed to, to help us get through the problems of life. That's why things start falling apart in our lives, and we can't understand why. It's because we have Jesus in our lives Got him in that one hour, but he's not the center of our lives. It's just set up wrong. And let me show you another one. And this time, let's just say that we were to put the wise men, we were to take Jesus out of the center, and we were to put the wise men at the center of our lives. Now, these guys represent wealth. They, they represent dreams. I mean, these, these are amazing people. They're, they represent education and success fame, popularity, whatever it might be, that the way the world would look at us and go, wow, success. There are very few people who say that I want wealth and success to be at the center of my life. That I want this to be the priority of my life. But the truth is, in a lot of people's lives, that's the way they live their life, as though that's the most important. So when life throws them a curveball, they're wondering what's going on. And they're asking this, I've made Jesus the center of my life, or I've got Jesus in my life, this shouldn't be happening. The problem is it's set up wrong. And when it's set up wrong, you'll discover that you're not very happy with what's going on. Listen, if you're, you're in that season right now where success, to be a success in an area, financially, uh, educationally, whatever it might be, find someone that has already achieved that and go ask them, hey, did this make you happy? What they'll probably tell you is, man, it was amazing. I'm glad that I did it, but it did not make me happy. You cannot put your hope in things other than Jesus. Let me do another one. Let's take Mary and Joseph. And, and let's just say that we're going to put them at the center, and they represent family. 
They represent your spouse. They represent your kids. They represent relationship. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, that's finally the right one. We've, we've got it family first. Now, it almost sounds right, and I agree that it should be a priority, but other people were never supposed to be the center of your life. By the way, it's why some of you get so hurt by other people is because you're always pressuring them to do something that God never intended them to do for you in the first place. You're putting them where Jesus should actually be. I was listening to a pastor this week and he was talking about how he was at a conference and was asked by somebody if his wife made him happy. And I began thinking about that for me. If, if my wife, Pam, makes me happy. Now, I do know this. I love being married to my wife. I, I, I am happily married. And she brings happiness into my life, but she does not make me happy. You see, if I'm trying to make her make me happy, make her make me happy. She's over here this time. She threw me off. I was like, where'd she go? Oh, man, okay. It's like when some of you move around in the service, and I'm like, what are y'all doing over there? You sit back there, right? If I'm looking for her to make me happy, I'm going to be disappointed. And it's not because she's a bad person. And it's not because she's not a phenomenal wife, because she is. But she was never supposed to be the center of my life. See, this is why many of you get so disappointed in relationships that you have. Because it's set up wrong. Here's the final one. Let's put the animals now at the center of our lives. Now, Richie, we wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, y'all would. I've seen some of y'all's Facebook posts. In fact, I try to track down some of my friends, and there's a picture of a dog there. And I'm like, okay, they look a little bit different than when I graduated from high school with them. Some of you do, and we love our animals, right? Some of you love them a little bit more than others. You know, all the Christmas paraphernalia you put on them, you might want to back up on that just a little bit. But... Let's just say that it represents everything that brings us pleasure in life, like hobbies and, and recreation and sports and vacations. And listen, God loves, the, loves us to have good things and enjoy things. He absolutely does. They just cannot be the center of our life. I discovered this a few years ago with my Dallas Cowboys. Because there were times when my Dallas Cowboys, and as you guys know, our slogan for Dallas Cowboys is, there's always next year, right? Um, but there were times when my beloved Dallas Cowboys would disappoint me. At the last minute, the guy dropped the pass. What on earth is he thinking? He threw an interception. What's wrong with our defense? And I would go to bed all frustrated and all tense and wake up the next morning, two, three days sometimes, seriously, of being frustrated about the Cowboys losing. And I finally recognized I'm putting my emotional well-being in the hands of some 20-year-olds. <laughs> so again, it's not bad to enjoy them. And I do get the, oh, darn, but I can move on. Do you know why? Because the Dallas Cowboys are not at the center of my life. And as simple and, and as funny as that actually is, it's amazing how many things crawl into the center of our life. Because if you're saying, listen, I have Jesus in my life, why is my life such a mess? Chances are he's not at the center of your life. Chances are something else. You see, one of the cool things that I get to do as a pastor, which by the way, I think it's time for the church to make being a pastor a cool thing again. 
we are the butt of most jokes. And listen, we can take it. You know, we can just take it because it actually develops a little character in us. But there are three people that you can jack with, blondes, lawyers, and pastors. You can jack with them, say jokes about them all the time, and it's just funny. But listen, I think that the church should make being in the ministry something awesome again. And I love being a pastor. And listen, I, I think I actually have the best job in the world. I really do. And, and for me, it's certainly not just the issue of preaching. Uh, in fact, if you know me, I used to freak out about being up here. And it's, it's still, it's not the thing that I live for preaching. But I love revealing Jesus, the light of the world, the word of life, so that his light shines in dark areas of people's life. One of the things I love is when I'm talking with people one-on-one or as I'm preaching and I see those aha moments that you have. When God's word suddenly becomes illuminated and you just, I see your eyes light up and God's speaking life to you. And I love it because I love it when God begins to shine his light in dark areas of our life. When he begins to shine on the abundant path that he has for us. When he begins to help us understand, listen, I thought I was doing it right, but I'm actually being unforgiving. I'm actually being worried and anxious about things that God never asked me to be worried and anxious about. And he shines that light so we can get on the path of life that he has for us. Because I love helping people by saying, look, here's where your marriage should go. Those of you that have stuck your marriage and your spouse in the center of, of, the, of the nativity scene, here, look, here's where your marriage should go. Here's, here's where your kids could go. Your kids are important. They're just not trumping Jesus in your life. Look, here's, here's where your finances go. Look, you get the finances right and God begins to open up the windows of heaven and bless you. Here's where your job goes. Here's where recreation goes. Here's where that vacation goes in your life. Listen, it isn't because those things are bad. In fact, they're really great. It's just that they can't be at the center of your life. It's like moving the center of a wheel off off center and watching the the roughness of what would begin to take place. And here's the thing. I don't really have to preach it to you. Life will. When your life's out of order, it's going to preach to you something's wrong. Something's wrong. There's stress in the marriage. There's stress with the kids. There's stress in all kinds of different places. And listen, I'm not talking about us, the fact that stress comes to us. I'm talking about us living in, dealing with, and just deciding this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be stressed about my marriage till Jesus comes. You see, my job is just to refocus you on Jesus so that you learn about him and his word And that he will give you the steps, which by the way, that's exactly what it is. It's just a step. It's just today making one more step. It's today. I've got wrong things in the center of my life. I choose a step. I want to get that thing out of my life to reorder your life. That's why Jesus said this in John 8. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never That Greek word is the Greek word ume, and it's a double negative, meaning you will never, ever walk in darkness. Pastor Richie, are you saying I'm never going to walk in darkness? I'm saying that, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the moment you find you're walking in darkness, we go back to doing what it says, that we're following him. He's in my life. Yeah, but he's not at the center of your life. Something's happened. He's gotten out. We'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. See, whenever we find ourselves in darkness, we've got to put Jesus back at the center to allow his word and his light. Sometimes we can't get that on our own. We need some friends. 
We need some family members that have walked through some things to speak some words of life to us. Which, by the way, is why it's so important for you to be in a small group. Because you've walked through some things that somebody's going to come up and show up in your life one day and say, this is what I'm walking through. Can you help me? You can say, let me tell you what I walked through. So that he can bring us back to the light of life. So how do I do that? Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to give us a year here at Amarillo Fellowship. Give us a year, get plugged in, get involved. Show up to the services on Sunday. If you're sick or you're out of town, that's understandable, but show up as consistently as you possibly can. Get in a small group. In just a few weeks, we're going to be starting our small groups again, and it's going to be a great opportunity for you to meet some of the wonderful people that are sitting around you that you just kind of wave to and say hi to every Sunday. You can actually meet them. Go through the growth track. You're going to discover the purpose and design that God's created you for. And when you begin to do that, I promise you, promise you in a year, you're going to come back and say, man, the light of God's love is shining in my life like I've never understood it before. I'm so thankful, man. Thank you for what Jesus has done in my life. Thank you that I get to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Give us a year. So I want to pray. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.